I'm back. I'm back. <clears throat> I'm back. <laughs> You are listening to another episode of Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jester. Yes, indeed. And this episode, the dedication, I think, is always going to be important, honoring people who were not only contemporaries of Prince, could be ancestors to Prince and ourselves, people who really brought joy to people's lives. It could be someone in the political process of liberation it could be musically it could be all of these things which inspired us to do what we do today and i felt algero and kashif would be two <laughs> people who brought a lot of joy to people's lives and algero you can just look at him from his yeah, first album first album. i mean he had an album in the 60s and i'm talking about the one in the 70s like 76, I think it was the first album, and just just joy emanating from him every time he performed. And I actually have a friend who I bonded with through our love of Al Jarreau, and she's been playing Al Jarreau for, for her kids for years. Her kids are like seven and eight, something like that right now, and or like four and eight, <laughs> and mm. she's played Al Jarreau for them. For years and that's what they listen to before they go to bed so to say oh kids today they only listen to this kind of music people are still playing positive music for their kids mm-hmm. kashif he was young when he started in the industry he was 15 years old when he was in bt express and became this a world-renowned producer songwriter musician and he brought joy to a lot of people's lives. And I also <laughs> take joy in knowing he was a vegan. I'm vegan, been vegan for almost 25 years. And to know that someone else took that journey uh, for a spiritual purpose instead of like, oh, animals are great and I hate humans and I'm going to be vegan. Because, you know, somebody who actually looked at being vegan as a journey instead of a means to say I'm better than somebody else. I've been encountering a lot of people like that lately. And to look at his life as a journey, taking the art he made and moving past different generations, I think, is an excellent thing. And Kashif had a book talking about what to do when you get in the industry. And I think people need to read that. I think TLC needed to read that. So many people need to read that. He was also adopted. So he's spoken about that in his life. He just had a range of experiences to make him into the person he was and he just filled so much joy into people's lives so i want to dedicate this episode to those two do you have any folks you want to dedicate to jesse i was just thinking billy holiday mainly because of her voice and just how it's carried me as of late i know we talked about it all ella fitzgerald and luke ellington um and i just now want to mention Billie Holiday, because she's mm-hmm. just such 
Lady Day, you know. I just love her voice. She call so, on Lady Day. She <laughs> call on John Coltrane. There, they watch your troubles. See, oh, Gil's got hair, and that's another. Ooh. I mean, we could yeah. go all day with we this. We can go best. all day. But I appreciate <laughs> but, that you're calling yeah. attention to people who are not as well known, um, yeah. such as Kashif and Al Jarreau. It's amazing how many musicians exist, but if you're not really given that flossing of them, if your parents ain't planted, if it's not around your surroundings, then, you know, you just kind of get lost. But then you get reminded, like right now, so you can say, oh, I'll listen to a Kachif song or El Jarreau song. Yes. And with Billie Holiday, she took a lot of abuse, not just in her youth. But as a result of performing Strange Fruit, she was targeted because of that. She said, I'm going to continue to sing it because this is a story that is happening to my people in this moment in time. And it is important to bring attention to it. And she was targeted. She was investigated. She, I, I think she was murdered. Um, I think she, they planted her with drugs. I know people are talking about that in relation to Prince of Michael. But she definitely, because of this song she sang and her activism, she was targeted. And to say, oh, this is a newer phenomenon. This was happening back then as well for performers of African descent. So for people to say, oh, you should just shut up and perform. That's just not what that's we did. That's ridiculous. Yeah. We, we use music as a tool of activism, of organization. And to say we should just shut up and take it and perform and be a quote performing monkey and that definitely has racial overtones that's just not something we did we've always performed there's been the legacy of the griot there's been legacy of telling our stories through through music through poetry and to say we should just stop that is disrespectful and it just erases our history so thank you all of you <laughs> thanks for Continuing the legacy of positive music, continuing the legacy of bringing awareness to the issues that have happened to us. Ashe. Ashe. The today's subject is bootlegging. Bootlegs. <laughs> you know those boots you gotta wear every once in a while because you can't get there from just the conceptual shit. You gotta put on boots. That's what we're talking about. Bootlegs. Before we get into that, <laughs> what did you think of the? The blackish episode where they honored Prince, I have to okay. admit, I've never watched blackish in my life. The only thing I've seen wow. were the clips where they honored Prince. I didn't see the whole episode. I know nothing about the show. <laughs> All I know is that Larry Fishburne or Lawrence Fishburne is in it. And, uh, and uh, that's, yeah, so that's what I know about the show. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it, actually. I think it was really tongue-in-cheek i mean i like how they honored not just the 80s but they did stick to the 80s and you made a point that i do think is important they didn't go outside of the warner brothers period that kind of upset me if i'm looking at it analytically because it's like prince is an artist you have to follow you just can't stick to oh yeah remember the uh kiss video yeah that's funny right it's like yeah but that was in 86 right that's a long time ago he didn't stop you know he, he kept going like and i like how lawrence fishburne brought to light the slave you know mm -hmm. reasoning and the yes. you know capitalistic punch i was like yeah that's what he did too <laughs> see that's when y'all forgot him that's when he said my name is not prince i am a symbol and you better mm -hmm. not call me that 
um, because that's not me, if, you know. So he had a very interesting life, and I think they should always recall that. I mean, they did mention some of the early 90s, but you didn't get... And I'm not saying they could have made... They could have even just mentioned when he had the afro, you know, like what that meant when he came back with an afro and just third eye girl. Like, if you're going to start with Prince, you got to you gotta complete the circle, is all I'm saying. You can't Absolutely. just, you know, edge out. And but it was fun, they... funny. <laughs> well, why would they not, if he's talking about being a wage slave and ending his relationship to that particular series of employment, why wouldn't they play the song Slave? I mean, they play yeah. Seven, which has significance, but mm-hmm. if he's talking about being a slave, why not yeah, play Slave? Like, <gasps> they could right. <laughs> they could have said, Slave! Bam, credits roll, you know? I don't know. Slave! Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> slave! <laughs> But yeah, why wouldn't they do that? And so I'm just curious if the producers, they only had rights to the Warner Brothers catalog. Why are people focused on that? And I'm I'm wondering if it's a copyright issue. I wonder if there is a copyright issue on that, because it would seem that they would have the licensing. But I'm sure there may be a stipulation. And you also have to think of Blackish's ABC network. It's Disney. Oh, it's Disney? Yeah. Disney, okay. Yeah. Well, that might be a conflict yeah. just the same with um, Warner Brothers. I'm not sure. And that's a shame that there's all of that legal tie-in, but still, there's still songs that he owned that they could use, I would think, like the stuff that's licensed when the guy did Kiss. What's his name? I can't recall. Uh, all of the cast, Tracy Ellis. Um, yeah, Tracy Ellis Ross. Yeah, she's the other person I'm familiar with, yeah. Yeah, so I mean... It was, you know, that's, I don't know what more I can say about it. it I guess for people who <laughs> who never saw Prince or who are not, I mean, there it was also kind of, um, I'm not going to say preachy, but mm-hmm. it was like, you know, Prince did this and Prince did that. And the kids are like, oh, yeah, well, I like this. I like how they narrated the fact that not everybody going to dig Prince, but there's something about what he did in music that is right. important. And we can take that value and use it. You might not be a huge fan where every song is connected, where it just you might just be someone who's, oh, I like that song and it's okay. But to acknowledge that he did something and who he was, that's the problem is that people make Prince what he wasn't or they stick to one era that was just the pocket of his whole entire catalog. You know, you kind of have to complete the circle, like I said. Yeah. But the thing I did appreciate about what they did was they in many ways looked at the impact of how Prince inspired them outside of the music. And this is the thing I don't see when people honor Michael, when people honor Michael and have shows like this, they talk about, Oh, he did the moonwalk on Motown 25, which it's the backslide, but whatever. That's neither here nor there right now. But people focus on Michael Jackson as a performer or a vocalist. Whereas with Prince, people say, just like they did in this episode, oh, he helped me to come to fruition in a way where I acknowledge my sexuality in positive ways. Uh Or somebody said, well, he helped me become aware of social issues. And then, of course, with Larry Fishburne, it was like, yeah, he inspired me to quit my job and stop being a wage slave. Uh People don't associate that stuff with Michael. And I'm just like, why are people not doing this? And again, this is a personal issue for me. Because Michael Jackson is my favorite artist, not because of his music. Yes, I think he makes amazing music. But for me, 
the reason why I love him is outside of all that. And I don't know how many other people feel that way. <laughs> so that's right. why I'm just like, why don't people see it? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. People connect to musicians and music in general, just different ways. And they're not yes. always looking at it fully. You know, they're just stuck on. It's like listening to some people. It's like, oh, I just listened to the 80s. It's like, really? <laughs> wow. Okay. But when they say the 80s, it's only what they played on MTV. It's not Atlantic Star. It's not right. Lisa Morgan. <laughs> SOS it's just, band. It's and all right. That it's stuff. not any of that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's not Kashif. <laughs> right. No. It's just like, who is that? Is that a food? Right. Is it dairy Kashif? free? Right. <laughs> but I started thinking, too. I was thinking this morning about Son of the Times. And I think Prince's most powerful songs in a lot of ways are his most musically understated songs. So you listen to a song like Money Don't Matter Tonight. And Money Don't Matter Tonight is the one Prince song that makes me cry. Yeah, really? Yes, it is the wow. one Prince song every time I cry. And wow. uh yeah, and don't ask me why. It's it's and there are other songs where it I It does have a sad well, I have feeling like, you know, sometimes it snows in April. I'm like, oh, but that doesn't really make me cry. And I don't know why. Uh, but every time I hear Money Don't Matter Tonight, I just tears. And I think just thinking about just the spiritual aspect of the song, as well as the anti-capitalistic uh, message in the song, I think it just resonated with me the most. And Money by Michael Jackson I know I said They Don't Care About Us was comparable to that song, but Money by Michael Jackson yeah, to me money. is the That's most the comparable mm -hmm. to that because it, it, they have this exact same message, like make sure your spirit's all right and then you can move right. on. Do not sell yeah. your soul. And then you look at the, the video for Money Don't Matter Tonight. They show the dollar bill and, and you know, Illumina and like all that. It really had that message before people started popularizing those terms. And mm -hmm. You know, listening to Sign of the Times, I was thinking about that this morning, and he said, uh, you know, a man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance, his girlfriend came across a noodle and sushi, did the same. And for Prince to talk about that at a time when people were dying of complications of AIDS, it was still at that time known as a gay disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for Prince to not associate it in that way and actually say, hey, people die of complications of AIDS for other purposes as well. It might be drugs. It could be uh, transfusions. Right. It could be transfusions. So, it could be right. blood. Like, it's not just. Uh, it's not just having gay sex. Gay sex, yeah. And so I, just for Prince, you know, and we we're talking about his sort of anti-gay messages over time. But for him to not even put that in a song was like, whoa, wait. He's actually associating it with something outside of it. So that's, to me, pretty amazing. I think people don't think about this because he's just singing it. And then and then the, the other part where it's just talking about the rocket ship explodes, everybody mm -hmm. still wants to fly. People have to remember, that was 1987. The Challenger explosion was a year before that. And so, it, so he was just talking, again, sign of the times. So that whole portion of the song... We sang, a rocket ship explodes and people still want to fly. And so you could look at that in any way. People like still want to go on the spaceships and look at 
the other planets or whatever. And then I think of of Gil Scott Heron's Whitey on the Moon. They still want to explore other planets, <laughs> but Africans are still suffering here. And so mm-hmm. it could be possible that Prince was referring to that. I don't know. I know Prince loves Gil Scott Heron. So it could have been a reference to that. I don't know. But then he says, uh, some say man ain't happy truly unless a man truly dies. So you could interpret that any other, any way that you feel you need to interpret that as well. So people don't celebrate people on the Challenger. It's like, oh, whatever. It's just another spaceship. Oh, people thought it's a tragedy. And the same thing, uh, he could have been telling his own story in a way. Oh, see, people aren't going to appreciate the work I did in my art until I leave this earth. Or people didn't appreciate what El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz did or MLK did. So you could interpret this in so many ways, but people celebrate tragedy. I think that's the ultimate message of the song. Mm. Yeah, people In this day and age, we celebrate tragedy and we look at that as some kind of virtuous quality as opposed to celebrating people who do the work for our liberation now. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, that's too bad. It's just like the the government killed MLK, but look what happened. Oh, they give him a holiday and focus on 1963. (laughs) Right, and focus on 1963, you see. So I really think Sign of the Times is one of Prince's deepest songs. It's definitely, you know, him going like, I could make music with both hands tied behind my back. But here's a larger message. And what I did find out was Prince had nothing to do with the making of the video. <laughs> it's because he was battling Warner Brothers even then. And so they were like, okay, we're just going to produce a video. He don't want to be in it. So we'll just have text. So it wasn't even like his idea. <laughs> so That's funny. A lot of people are just like, oh, the video, he was so ahead of his time. It's like, right. yeah, well, he didn't even know. He didn't even care. Right. <laughs> Like you could look at that dialectically because on one end, Sign of the Times was a way of Prince transforming to a new era of his musicianship, of his artistry. So it's just like the fact that he's not in that video says a lot about, okay, I want the message to be more important, but at the Absolutely. same time, right. I'm to do it. <laughs> this is why it's called, this was around the time, this was 87, so this was around the yeah. time he was just realizing that the revolution was no more. I mean, he had ended it just a few uh, months at the end of 1986. And so this was the band that became before Love Sexy. So you had Cat, Bonnie, um, a couple other people. That was it. It was was Levi, right? Levi, Levi, Sheila E., Eric Leeds, Atlanta Bliss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was a really nice, like, and um, just a, a nice vibe. Miko Weaver as yeah. well. So you're right. That's a very good, important context that you added because he was already battling at that time with them because he wanted to release a triple crystal ball. He wanted crystal right. ball to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just did a movie and it didn't do well. <laughs> what you mean? <laughs> Three CDs. And then you want to just promote it in Europe? What? Right. Well, that's what he did with Sign of the Times. He didn't even tour that in America. So. Yeah. <laughs> Going on bootlegs here. Bootleg. Uh, I Prince, think... Prince, Prince was like, if you bootleg, you get your neck broke. <laughs> right. Well, see, Prince had a weird relationship with bootlegging. I think a lot of people misunderstand his relationship with it. I don't mm-hmm. think he had a problem with 
fans sharing the music. He even said that he had no problem with sharing music because he knew he made so much music. Now, it's Mm -hmm. not that he agreed with people releasing his music without his consent. If he had his way, a lot of stuff wouldn't actually ever be released, you know. But uh, he knew, Okay, well, I make a lot of music. I mean, and he is probably the most bootlegged artist, I would say. Mm. Uh, I think in comparison would probably be Bob Dylan. I'll say Prince maybe is great, Grateful the second. Dead. <laughs> grateful Dead. Yeah. There are a lot of musicians that actually are heavily bootlegged. But I think the Prince community in relation to bootlegging is interesting because we all know different people who have stuff that you don't have. Okay. Mm. And that's the thing that's about Prince. And another interesting element is that, you know, Prince has so much music that there's not just the stuff that is released like the unreleased studio stuff he did but then there are the live renditions that he did of songs so he has just an expansive discography of bootlegs and he didn't have a problem with people sharing it but when you're selling it that's the problem Mm -hmm. and i don't think that people should sell his music there are a lot of people online selling his music and he has a problem with that because he's like you are not even involved in the creative process you know this is especially if you're I mean, they'll add different quirks, they'll enhance it, they'll tweak it to where it sounds, you know, comparable to a great file. But the problem is it's not yours to sell, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's that whole thing. You can't avoid it. And that's another thing he realized with the rise of the Internet. You can't avoid people getting your music. It's just impossible because once it's online, it can be copied. It can be multiplied and sent out and you can't do nothing. So you can only shoot down the people who are actively and very proudly sharing themselves as bootleggers. And just recently there was a, a settlement with that because there were a couple. Yes, of I was going to mention yeah. that. Yes, because there was, was a Ge- Georgian box still. Uh, yeah. The oh, estate, that's too. Right. Yeah, the estate won like a four though. million dollar lawsuit against him for well, was see, it the deliverance? The deliverance, yeah. and I will say I don't. I don't like that they did that to him and I'm probably one of the few that would have this opinion about it, but I feel this is a guy who was a producer with Prince. So he, Mm -hmm. he helped him make this song. It wasn't just Prince, you know? And so at that point, you know, there, I'm not sure what their contractual agreement was. And he did have a defense and reasoning as to why he was selling it. But from what I understand, he wasn't, it's not like he was making a lot of money anyway. I mean, this was just mm-hmm. something that was on streaming services because no one is buying uh, CDs anymore. Although I will say Prince fans will buy anything yeah. Prince if they can. So <laughs> that's not actually fully true. <laughs> but I do think, I don't think he was doing it from a place of let me make a profit, you know, but mm-hmm. just, hey, here's what I did. And he even admitted that Prince, that the song wasn't all complete, that he added a couple of things. But you can see whatever he added, you still hear Prince's contribution. He didn't do anything to Prince's guitar. That's Prince's guitar. That's his voice. You know, he mm-hmm. just finished it off so that it sounded a bit more complete, which to me is not because a thing people say is, oh, they're, you know, they're they're profiting off of his legacy. They're profiting off of his legacy. And I think that statement needs to be a bit more examined, because if you worked with Prince, you know, just look at even photographers and their relationship with Prince. Like, they have the rights to that art, the pictures that they took of Prince. It's not just Prince, you know, and Prince knew right. that too. So I think it's a bit unfair to just assume everyone who comes out with anything is just trying to profit. There are clearly people who are, but then there are others who 
are like, no, I did this thing. This is a song. And we have a couple of songs we worked on. And it's a shame the estate didn't work with him. That's what I just wish that they had said, yeah. hey, we like this. Let's let's see if we can compose something out of it. Because he did try to reach out to them. But they didn't. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. So it's like. Oh, yeah, that would make sense to work with him because it said the majority of all sales of deliverance will benefit Prince's estate. So it looks as if there was an attempt to connect with the estate. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure why. So I'm not sure why they just cut him off and it made it. And I hate that people are making it seem as if he's in the wrong. When it's like, mm-hmm. no, he's he was a musician and this is a good song. That whole deliverance EP was pretty nice. I enjoyed it. It was really refreshing to hear it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to go against that and say, oh, no, you're going to have to pay for I don't even know if he has four million dollars. That's a lot of money to just be like, you've got to give us. I wonder if it's a bit of flexing their wings, because if they're really expecting that, because I did read in the article that it wasn't sent out as if it had to be expi- uh, expedited in a way. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he has to pay it or if it's going to be paid. Shit, I'm like, all right, four million dollars. I'll give it to you when I got it. Whenever that is, which is never. (laughs) Well, why not do like other folks a cease and desist? Because this is essentially what Tracy Chapman did with uh, Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj, yeah, she did. So a cease and desist. And if it's played again. So basically some a fan of Nicki Minaj went online and harassed. It was not even Tracy Chapman because she doesn't have social media, but it's a Tracy Chapman fan site. It said, wow. yo, you want us to miss out on Queen Nikki's songs or whatever? You like, you need me? to let How her do it. Not kidding. Not kidding. <laughs> then, who was it? Funkmaster Flex or somebody. Uh, the song got leaked. You know, Nicki Minaj was like, nah, nah, you know, don't do that. She said no. But th- the song got leaked. And so Tracy Chapman was like, didn't I tell you not to put mm-hmm. the song out? And somebody got access to it and leaked it. So now I'm going to sue you. <laughs> oh, so she's suing her with the implication that she did it when it was actually someone else? She requested she not played the song, but somehow somebody got access to the song, so she's still implicated in it. Mm. Because uh, you didn't hold on to the song hard enough where somebody still had access to it. So I don't know if she gave the song to somebody or what, but the song leaked enough for it to be played publicly more than once. Mm. Oh, I remember that song too. They put it on the YouTube for a little bit. Oh, did they? I think they? it was there the one go. with Nas. I think she did it with yes, Nas. Yes, it had yeah. Nas, right? Yeah. That's and the so, one. so the funny thing about that is Nicki Minaj basically did uh, the cover. It was a Foxy Brown's cover of "A Baby Can I Hold You." So there was the version in the '80s of Foxy Brown, not 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 the MC, is a dancehall artist. And so they did a dance hall version of, of Baby Can I Hold You and called it Sorry. So that's the version Nicki Minaj took. So she was saying, oh, I didn't know it was Tracy Chapman's original song, which makes sense to me and doesn't at the same time. But it does because a lot of people don't know it was Tracy Chapman's song. They, they're they only familiar with the cover. And so that's the version she used. Mm-hmm. And Tracy Chapman was like, yo, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so it's very much like Manu Dibongo when he sued Michael Jackson for doing Want to Be Starting Something because Manu Dibongo had sold Makosa and I think Michael Jackson heard it. Um, Hi, Kitty. 
<laughs> Michael Jackson heard it when Frankie Crocker put Soul Mucosa out on WBLS. Michael said, oh, this is cool. What I did read was that Michael was insistent upon using the part in a song. Quincy Jones tried to warn him. They're like, nah, man, you're going to get sued. He's like, let it happen. You know? So wow. that's what you hear. Mama say mama sa, mama kusa. Mm-hmm. Even though the original is mama ko, mama sa, mama makusa. <laughs> There's a slight, it's like an interpolation, but yeah. it's it's enough for Manu Dubongo to be like, yo, you jacked my song. Right, well, exactly. I mean, that's still his, so. Right, and Manu Dubongo sued again when Rihanna used it for Don't Stop the Music. Did he get any awards? Yes, both both cases were settled, yes. Ha! He's like, you can use it if you want to. Right. I'm going to get some cash out of it. Get some money out of it. Go ahead. (laughs) But yeah, so so a lot of people don't talk about that case. People focus on a lot of the cases Michael won, but that was a case he did not win. Yeah. And he was just like, I can understand why he didn't win that one, because that was taken, so... (laughs) <laughs> it's like vanilla. It's like vanilla ice saying, "No, I didn't steal from Queen." They go, "Da da da da." He's like, "No, I said da 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 They're like, "Da da da da." It's like, "Shut up, dude." <laughs> what? Like, really? Yeah. He was just like, "No, it's different." Cause I added a note. It's like, what? Are you, you still sampled under pressure. Like, what? You just added like a whatever. So, so yeah, it was very much like that where Michael didn't. Mama say, mama sa, mama kusa. When the original is mama ko, mama sa, mama makusa. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny because it's just like a, it's the same basically. Yeah, essentially, it's just a, a few <laughs> notes here and there, just you know, missing or left out. And <laughs> the conversation is always going to be funny to me because there was a event that Michael was at. And they were talking about pirating music. Michael, in a lot of ways, was, I still use is, was immature. And he's always thinking about Disney and stuff. And, Uh you know, even though he was an astute businessman, he still had that that brain always like, oh, yee. And uh, (laughs) so the dude was talking about pirating. And Michael starts cracking up because he was thinking that Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Because. Because the dude was like serious talking about pirating music, but Michael was somewhere else. He's like pirating. Hee hee. I was like, yo, <laughs> are you serious, dude? Wow. And Michael actually wrote a statement around the time when it was uh the whole uh what's the thing with Metallica when they sued that company. So all the stuff about downloading and why can't I think of the company right? <laughs> but uh all these people were suing downloaders and things like that. And Michael actually wrote a response or either wrote a response or said in an interview. And he actually was just like, you know, I understand why people download music. He wasn't harsh on people. He wasn't out to sue people. And I was like, yay, Michael. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. I want to be paid for my art. However, I understand that people download music and I'm not going to go hard on that. I understand. People, and basically, it's like, people still buy my music, so whatever. <laughs> so he was, he was, he was, he didn't seem as invested in it as other artists because, like Prince, mm-hmm. people are going to buy his music. He's Michael Jackson. So <laughs> he was not as concerned. And that's why with Metallica, 
I mean, they make bank, particularly in their live performances, to go that hard on people who download their music. That was, that was, mm, that wasn't cool. I look at downloading, I look at all of that as a class issue. Because with YouTube, with all of these sites Mm -hmm. where people are watching music for free, they're watching copyrighted music for free. I understand people want to be paid for their work, and I think they should. However, if you look at the media consolidation, thank you, Bill Clinton, uh, (laughs) media consolidation, quote unquote, act of 1996, you look at all of these laws, even in the 80s, because these companies tried to go after uh, tape companies. So when you, you know, recorded music off the radio, that didn't work. <laughs> and it's always about corporations making money and profiting off of artists. I love it's always and been I that appreciate, way. I love and appreciate that you bring in that context because I do feel the same when it comes to like YouTube streaming services. That's why it's like, come on, those things can't be seen as just something that's happening everywhere because there are many places in the world where you don't have that access. Right. And it's not the artist suing. Mm-hmm. The YouTube channels. It's, it's the, the companies, companies. It's the labels. The yeah. it's the and labels. a lot of artists who have been interviewed say, well, it gets me more exposure and people actually buy my music after watching me on YouTube. And this is, of course, smaller artists saying that. But it's usually, you know, WMG, Warner Music Group, usually, and Sony are the ones suing people left and right. I remember before Happy Birthday was public domain. And I actually met the dude whose grandmother wrote it many, many years ago. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. But Happy Birthday was not public domain up until a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And so people would say Happy Birthday and their videos would get taken down because uh, (laughs) Warner, Warner's own, they own Happy Birthday. That's ridiculous, really. Yeah. And so there was a huge lawsuit about that. And eventually... It became public domain, and so people can say happy birthday all they want. But yeah, it was uh, just for singing 20 seconds. They're like, oh. And so if you say happy birthday in a movie, you had to pay royalties for that. Wow. In a movie and on a video. And so, of course, people having music in the background, their videos would be taken down. I know I've had videos. I played classical music in my videos. And I had an order to take them down, classical music, because even though the original version of the song is public domain, it's the interpretation of the song which may be copywritten. It's like, oh, great. (laughs) So there's a lot of the just small print behind all of that. And so you have to be really careful when you put music. Some people are like, yeah, you can put my song or whatever. All those people that go on the Ellen DeGeneres show, they have popular songs in their music. And then, you know, people like Missy Elliott are like, yeah, right. you know? <laughs> like people don't get your ex- you get my song exposure. I, I see you love my song. You know, so the artists are like, OK, but it's the record companies are like, nope, take it down. So uh, if Missy Elliott was not like, yay, I'm glad to. What they call white soul sister or whatever that lady that was at the the right, yeah, who was doing that? (laughs) You know, if Missy Ellie didn't say anything, Atlantic Records might have said something. Right. Who who knows? You know, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So it's it's that whole thing, but in terms of the class issue, buying music, going to concerts, 
people who have access financial and otherwise can go see those concerts and they don't necessarily need to record it. The thing about YouTube is the whole world having access to stuff. So for instance, Michael Jackson did not tour the US at all for history mm-hmm. and large parts of Dangerous. Yeah. So how else are we gonna see that besides the one concert that was filmed on HBO? Exactly. So how, how can we see these way. other things? If we have the international television, yeah, they film the concerts internationally, but we have to have money to have cable, right? So it's all about access. Oh, to get better quality, you need to pay $20 a month. It's always about having access to finances, to have access to this music. So poor people are left out, are left out of any type of art. And so, yeah, this leads people to create art. I mean, the creation of hip hop was because poor people didn't have access to programs in schools. So, yeah, people create art out of poverty. But it leaves you out of all these other things. I also look at that dialectically. I think artists should be paid for their work. I mm. really, really do. But with stuff like YouTube, with yeah, you know, nah. artists aren't really getting a lot of money. And you look at that's the statistics, why, and they're not. I think that's a very good lead in in relation to the Prince videos that are being released on YouTube because (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm very excited about it. I'm really enjoying because I haven't watched a lot of those videos in a long time. I mean, remember, there was a time when Prince was around. You couldn't Mm -hmm. get none of that unless you wanted Uh, a virus. If you went through other, you know, websites, I've been to so many Japanese websites and, you know, just trying to find a grainy video that might not even be the full video. (laughs) You know, and that's because Prince was very big in controlling his whole image. It's like you talked about. I mean, he did watch you. If he knew you were talking about him or if he knew that you made any videos in relation to him, if his name was in any video, (laughs) he would get his lawyers on it. So um, he did not want his videos on YouTube. And of course, he joined Tidal. And Tidal, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted. Prince videos or Prince music or any of the connections to Prince, you had to go on Tidal. And Tidal was actually pretty sweet when it first came out because I remember just being amazed that he put it on there. Like, wow. So he's not going to refrain and edit and remix because there was a time Prince was like, yeah, I, I'm not cursing is his stand is that he didn't want to curse. He wasn't cursing. <laughs> so he was changing the lyrics to a lot of the right. songs. And it was like, no, don't do that. Like, just leave it as it is. You don't have to perform it, but don't go back and change it. And I remember listening to an interview that Morris Hayes had recently, and he did mention that, which I'm glad. He said he had to tell Prince, look, Prince, this is how you felt at the moment. You can't go back and just just because you don't agree with it, then don't perform it or change it when you perform it live, which is what right. he did. Really, too. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, honor all of it. So I'm glad that they're posting all of these music videos, because while I understand his reasoning behind it, because he didn't want it to reflect his current state of artistic expression. I appreciate that now people can see it and that the quality is much better. But it's just Mm -hmm. funny because there was a time I'm low key feeling some kind of way about these new fans getting it so easy when I had to search. I literally had like a couple of crashes on my computer for trying when i was your age when i was your age exactly we had to download 
from these foreign websites <laughs> and it took eight hours to download. Now right. you can just watch it on YouTube. What is this? Travesty. <laughs> I had to walk 8,000 right. miles to watch this video and you can only take and you can do it seconds. two seconds. What? <laughs> yeah. It's just a classic example of that. Exactly. But it's a good thing because, again, if Prince was around, it would not be so accessible. And he was always an exclusive artist, even when he had his websites. And if you don't know what Prince Museum is or Prince Online Museum, you should check it out because you're able to go to all of the websites he created and see how it was. Oh, and was, Yeah. It's called Prince Online Museum. Because yeah. I remember looking at his website and I didn't have the money at the time when those sites mm. were up to join. So I would just look at the homepage and go, Oh, that's really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause they had What's the it? one. I remember what era was this? It was the one it had the moving TV and that's the one I remember the most. The it was flower. Just, it might've been that. It yeah. might've been that. But I remember when it first came out and looking at it, I was like, this is pretty, but I don't have the money to join. Yeah, that was the one that you had to pay $77 for. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't have $77. Yeah, can, well, now, now I can go. You can go. Anyone can go. And it's free. <laughs> it <laughs> so even, it even goes back to the 90s. Like the My favorite one was Love for One Another. That was like yeah. a really nice one. I mean, you can really, you really feel like you're in the 90s because it's like 98. So you see the GIFs and there are articles about Africa. It's all of it. Like I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, what is it, Prince? What is it called? It's called Prince Online Museum. Okay. Because before they launched it and then they deleted it because I think the estate came against it or some craziness. What? Yeah, but but for whatever reason, now it's back up. I think they managed to finally was like, you need this online. Like, I'm pretty sure you don't want this away. So, yeah, it's all there. It's really nice. Love for one another. I used to just go and look at the home pages and go okay i can't afford this i'm gonna just go <laughs> <laughs> no yeah you I, I would have been the same way because it's like man i don't got that kind of money but he even had 1-800 new funk you know that yeah was from 97 right his first website was um the interactive well that was the uh the game but it was the like oh, the game i remember that yes the Dawn was his first website, and it was nine. It was uh, February fourteenth, nineteen ninety six, when he got married. Mm. Actually, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. That was his first and, website. Yeah, I'm got. I gotta look at website that I remember vividly because I've seen several of them, but this is the one I remember vividly, and it was mm-hmm. very active, and it was definitely interactive and. I'm gonna let you know, but yeah, that's oh, the one. Yeah. I'm like, nice. I want to go, and then yeah, it tricks you because you would click on it, it's like, nope, you got, you got, and it would send you back because like, no, you got to. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Like this is so not you, a, a free pass. You have I know. to pay. <laughs> so I was like, what? And you made it all pretty, and you tricked me. Okay. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I, re- I remember going on the Prince websites and couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got so much stuff on the websites, though. 
And in retrospect, I put would have put a couple of dollars together to do that because you really yeah. did get a whole lot of stuff. But you know. yeah, of course. But that just shows you how he is not like he was saying you can't find me. He just kind of made it a maze. You know, like you had to solve riddles. You had to really like this is for the people who really want it. It wasn't just because right. he already knew that he wasn't the artist to just make pop music. You know, mm-hmm. just one type of music. He was doing all kinds of music, all kinds of sounds at different times. And a lot right. of times people didn't like it when he was doing it. So but some people were like, OK, yeah, I'll pay that. I'll I'll take you on a journey or I'll take myself on this journey to see what would uh, mm-hmm. come out of it. So it but was that's very... the thing about access is yeah. that people people like me who wanted to look at the website and get stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't have seventy seven dollars right now. So I don't have access to listen to your music. You know, of course, I knew people who like Prince, so I heard a bunch of the songs. But but still, like, what if I wanted to have copies? And so then, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you're bootlegging my stuff. Oh, yeah. So it, it still is very much a class struggle, even on a Prince yeah. website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely and, right. And that's and why so, it's good. Yeah. That's why I'm saying with his transcendence, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thankful <laughs> that people now have that access. But even then, it's still not like accessible, accessible to everybody. But it's still right. way more access than it was when he was around because he had a very specific way of how he wanted his image to be handled. And right. that just goes back to the bootlegging because, you know, mm-hmm. if there's something he said, because there, there are many bootlegs. Let's talk about the songs, for instance, where there are, you know, questionable or challenging lyrics, I would say. So you look at Extra Lovable, and that's a song that he originally did, I believe, in 81 or 82. Right. It was really early. Like one of the Wasn't first... that, that was around the time of 1999 you recorded that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. even probably a bit before that, there's a version. Of, um, okay. I need to make sure I'm Prince Vault. That's the site to go to. They have everything <laughs> yeah, That's a pretty good site, out. yeah. That's a really good site. I appreciate them. Yeah, it, it was 29 years old. That's what it says. Because mm. it, the first original track was in 82 so yeah you're right that's around the uh 1999 era but yeah actually lovable and you know the original lyrics are known notoriously for having i don't even need to say it because if you don't know it because i'm i'm mentioning it to say this prince knew that it was very challenging for a lot of people to listen to because it's a reference of something that can't really be justified and so he reversed it or when I say reverse, I mean he worked on it throughout the years. Right. And he finally re-released it because the first lyric, he as again, I'm on the verge of rape. That's the thing he says. Ugh. And then he's like, oh, I have to rape, you know, all of this other stuff. So who knows? Ugh. Yeah, so he had to change that. And he knew mm-hmm. people were playing this song. They were sharing it. And he did not like that, obviously. Right. Whatever he thought he meant or the passion he was trying to explore with that statement, it just doesn't come across well. So he... Revised it. So he started performing it live and he omitted that mm-hmm. that lyric mm-hmm. because obviously that wasn't it's a song about, you know, uh, taking a bath with him. But it doesn't have to lead to that, <laughs> of course. Right. So he was aware. So bootlegs, that's the thing with bootlegs, certain elements. There are even some of my favorite bootlegs are in the 90s of Prince. And it's not just Prince who I have bootlegs with. I have, you know, James Brown. Mm-hmm. Nina Simone, Miles Davis, a lot of my favorite jazz musicians, they're like bootlegged all over the place all the time because 
of the different variations of how you can hear the same composition. So that's what makes Prince one of the most bootleg because he has so many different styles of how he does his songs throughout the years. Mm-hmm. They, they just change form and you can listen to a song without a guitar solo and then it's a piano solo or maybe it's a bass solo. Who knows? You know, it depends on the context of how he was feeling that night. That's what makes collectors kind of just like, ooh, did you hear that one time Prince did this song? and Or did you hear that one time it, it sounded like this and it didn't sound like that? He was aware that that was just that culture, but respecting his agency. But you, again, the point you made about class and just how we have access to certain things is very important because there's so many different ways of hearing things. But the responsibility you have for what you're hearing is um, kind of measured by different rules. Oh, what's wrong, Get- Kitty? Sorry. Oh, Kitty. <laughs> oh, you got something to say about bootlegs? <laughs> Why not? Like, no. uh, all right. I don't have anything. Um, Prince was one of the folks who, besides Chuck D, really yes. did put music and internet on the map. Yeah, and I'm wondering. Chuck D, that's right. Good yeah, with Slam Jams. Slam yeah. Jams, yeah. And I'm just wondering why Prince didn't have this idea of what came to later happen with bands like Radiohead or David Bowie, I think was the first person to do this, was to have a pay what you want type of deal. And they mm-hmm. still made money. Here's my album. Pay what you think you want to pay to hear my music. It could be a penny. It could be 20 And people mm-hmm. tended to pay the median of like $10. Right, $10. You pay the median. Exactly. And I'm, I'm sure that would have worked for Prince, but... I'm curious. You know, I had... believe there was some form of that because he did have the crystal ball. I mean, that yeah. was an album, though. So right. that's not probably as specific. But he had the 1-800-NEW-FUNK. And I believe right. on that end, there was some varying of prices so that you didn't have to just pay that. It wasn't always that he had services. He sometimes just had CDs that you can buy from the website. In fact, on his um, Raven to the Joy Fantastic album, he has a segue where he mentions, you know, what, go head over to 1-800-NEW-FUNK if you want, you know, whatever mm-hmm. else. So, I mean, there was some attempt to have people pay more than one thing so that it's just not like a subscription service. Because, again, in an era like now, and I feel the estate is probably a bit challenged in how they're going to... I mean, Prince has so much music. And mm-hmm. with the introduction of this documentary, I hope that they realize the different ways you can find a medium so that people can hear all of the different elements because clearly it was just not the 80s i mean it wasn't just the 90s i mean the the rainbow children is a very pivotal if you're going to mention any other third era you got to mention the 2000s yeah just the beginning at the very least like come on you can't because it provides context to what happened to him when he changed his name Mm -hmm. and so just his efforts in bringing to light artists being not having to work with a label and doing it on their own that's kind of what's happening now and i think a lot of musicians are aware of the benefits there are pros and cons for signing a label but i think if you're in a label situation you're kind of they kind of get you you know like you you might be big for a while but then once they find somebody else that share similar commonalities they're gonna just replace you at no expense with no care i mean they've done it to so many people 
I mean, look at Kesha. Look at any person who was really, really big at one time, like Katy Perry. I can think of so many musicians that's kind of had that story. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not doing anything because the record industry kind of has them by their leg. So they can't do anything beyond, you know, what they've done already. Right. Because if they want to have their own voice, then they're told, no, you should sound like that. You should you, you should go on this sound. This is the direction you should go in because you're not that anymore. <laughs> it can be very challenging for artists that are signed to labels. So being an independent artist gives you the right to be able to decide what you want to do with something like bootlegs or mm-hmm. your own work that you did with a label. In terms of the websites, this is OK. Mm-hmm. I remember especially the MPG Music Club ones. So yes. the, is that? I remember those specifically. I do remember 3121.com. Mm-hmm. I remember Lotus Flower Vaguely. Oh, see, now, okay, which one do you remember, Kitty? <laughs> no? Okay. She, she remembers all of them. Everything. <laughs> Me too. No. So I remember the, both the MPG Music Club ones, but specifically the 04 to 06 one, I think. Mm-hmm. And the 3121. And uh, let's see. Yeah, I definitely don't remember the love for one another. I don't remember that one. Yeah, those specifically. And three, yeah. I'm going to say that. The Lotus Flower one vaguely, but the 3121 and the um, MPG Music Club ones, especially, I remember. But I couldn't enter any of them because I didn't have the money. (laughs) <laughs> See, that's one thing i would say princeton um but that's also because he was independent see that's the thing when you contextualize it you know when you have a a machine this is what the, the label can provide they can provide the access to have just this whole conglomerate of people making sure all of what you do is accessible right. and you know you're more you're getting more incentives they can give you, you know, cash advances, which could be used to help, you know, people who are not as likely to be able to pay what a independent artist would have to do. Because with independent artists, you kind of have to up the prices just to make, just to get it leveled. Because you're mm-hmm. you're having to come up with the expenses. Like Prince, around the 90s, a lot of people don't really think of that. He was being taken care of because he had royalty checks. But he still... <laughs> But he still had to he still had to cut down on a lot. He couldn't have a everybody making the band's clothes like he stopped doing that for a while or he started mm-hmm. using other ways of how he was spending his money because the budget decreased when it came to certain things. And if you're not selling out, then you got to pay overhead. And there's a lot of other expenses. So I can totally understand why he had a subscription. But I understand. Yeah. And I'm sure he understood why people were like, yeah, I don't got it, but it's a cool interface. Exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. that would be me too. Like, oh, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. But um, Ooh, can't do nothing with it, please. Pretty colors, funky. <laughs> That's funky, Prince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you see the way capitalism is set up. Mm-hmm. Preach. Oh Lord, Lord. <laughs> no, I wonder. I. Didn't see any interviews with him around that time of the Black Album when it was bootlegged. I know he didn't have a fondness for the album around that time. And, you know, to fulfill a contract, he 
release it on Warner Brothers, but yeah, that was really the first major bootleg. I mean, there were a few around that time of Prince's, but that was the first one. That was the that major was huge. One. Took the cake. Yes, it's so it was released on several bootleg labels. <laughs> I had one of them. I, I explained uh, it how I got it on another episode. But <laughs> yeah, because that story is one you guys will want to stay in tune with. Because I tell her all the time. Ooh. Anyway. But yeah, I found it. It was, it was in somebody's house. It was the house I lived in. I was moving. And I said, is this anybody's? They said no. So I took it. <laughs> That's how I got a copy of the Black Album. <laughs> I mean, there are copies of the original Black Album. I remember a story not long ago suggesting mm-hmm. one of the Black Albums that was found was valued at around. I, it had to be over 14000 or around that price. I should have okay. not sold mine. Yeah, she to, sold to, it. I should have. The, right. Now, keep in mind, this is the original one, but there are still variant versions. Like, I bought a C, the CD version that Warner Brothers had back mm. in the day. Like, this was like 2013. Oh. And that's going for now up in the hundreds. So people what? still. Yeah, on eBay. That's what I'm saying. What? Prince, yeah, hundreds. A CD version. Oh, the Black Album on Warner yeah. Brothers? Because it's out it's of not print. out of print or nothing. Why that much? Yeah, it is actually. In the oh, sense is that it? You can't. A lot of stuff. I mean, that's what's going to change now, because now they're going to have. You know, it's connected to the Sony Legacy album, so they're going to start releasing the physical copies of that. But that won't be till 2020. You think they're going to put the Black Album out though? I don't know. I always wonder about that because they don't have the Black Album out on anywhere besides title. I don't even know if it's on title. <laughs> I don't even know if it's on title. Let me see. I'm not. I'm wow. If he didn't have it on title, that would be weird. Well, I I think that's I the guess. the the album that Prince most or less associated himself with. So I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't on there. He really made it a point to not have that album released. Like he exactly. had. For like Alphabet Street in the video, there's a, another hint that Prince would do with his videos <laughs> where he, he holds up a, a uh, umbrella and it says, I believe it's an umbrella. There's some figurine and it says, don't buy the black album. Right. Please. I'm sorry. Don't buy the it's like. So to me, I feel like he kind of I don't think he was really that against it. I think. He was against it in the sense where it was like, no, I'd rather do Love Sexy because that's the album I would mm-hmm. love. Sexy in contrast, you can't really. If you listen to both of them back to back, you can see why he went for Love Sexy instead of the Black Album because right. Love Sexy is more in line to what he would make anyway. It's more positive, it's more vibrant, more colorful, you know. Whereas the Black Album is more sparse, and because of that isolation of a lot of instruments, you hear Mr. George is Bob home, you know, all of that, the, the darkness and the spooky electric and it's a bit more obviously he had symbolism for that he's talking about squirrel meat and a lot of other things that are like what are you talking about like you know so who knows the full reason why he didn't want that album out but i still think that's the album that i remember when i finally heard it i was so happy because the hype had been so like just immense and then when i listen to it, it's like it's not that dark i mean it's dark in the sense that he's yeah, you take him to a chair then you make funny faces and you get real scared till you turn on the neon and play with yourself until you turn them on <laughs> that's what he says in super funky califragilisticexy which is that's a, i would say if i'm going to talk about dark songs on that album it would have to be that one 
super funky califragilisticexy and maybe a bit of um Bob George, but I think that's kind of funny comical. I don't I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. I guess it's all how you really interpret it, but Wait, it did is, they have the song where the dude beating his wife or shot his wife or what song was that? Bob George. No, he was Bob wasn't George, him. yeah. Wait, where you, oh, let's see. I should listen to it again. There are references of that though. Cause he's Yeah, something. Been, it's but it's I don't know. I think Prince had a way to to really he connected with it. It meant something to him, mm-hmm. obviously. Enough where he didn't want to release it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's so, like, I mean, y'all can bootleg it, whatever. I'll just just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get rid of it. Exactly. That's I really don't like that album. I don't I just don't. And I'm I'm in the minority on that and I know that. Right. No, it's cool. The cool <laughs> thing about Prince is he got a lot of other music, so you like what oh, you like. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I That's don't like Purple Rain either, so you know. <laughs> I know, I know. You just... make me so confused. <laughs> okay, I'll say this about Purple Rain, and this is what I'll say about it: the parts are better than the sum. Same with Thriller. That's nice. There you go. The parts yes. are better than the sum. I'll say that. Oh, and I would say that too. Actually, that's the best way I could actually describe that album. You you just hit the nail for real. That's that's good. The parts are better than the sum. Because then when after you listen to it all, it's like it's just yeah. kind of like what's what you what what do I get the symbolism? That's what people connect the purple and the rain and the way he's playing. Ah! But then it's like yeah, it just I mean I love the beautiful ones. I can go into yeah, the I songs like that, that song. I really as a song. really enjoy as a, yeah. It's just. I see what you're saying. You got it right. Especially so, the the end. I like the end of. The, I like on Purple Rain. I like the ends of the songs. Right. When he just jams, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but well, speaking pre- of, yeah. okay, I don't know if this would be considered a bootleg since it was mm-hmm. pretty much official because it was uh, the benefit and that's where Purple Rain came from. But watching the live footage of that. It's so much more compelling than what they edited for the movie. A, they sped they sped it up in the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, B. Are oh, you speaking of the one that first half? Yes. Yeah, that's a bullet. They should, but you should, no. Well, see, the estate made a, a bad decision in not including that in the new remaster of Purple Rain. That should have been included, but right. instead they put what was it Syracuse yeah I don't think they had the time because obviously they were working on it I, I could see that they were in the process of editing it but mm-hmm. it just didn't make the time budget and we got mm-hmm. the Syracuse one but that's the one you're right they they didn't have to edit that at all that was a wonderful that whole performance that's pretty much Purple Rain right there he didn't do much besides that's what I'm saying <laughs> he really didn't do much be- it's so funny that he made the soundtrack from that is performed as if it was a real. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, yeah. And so you watch Purple Rain. Obviously, he's lip syncing the songs. It it just wasn't. It was. You could tell it was acting. Whereas the actual First Avenue performance, I'm like, that's how you do. If that was the footage, I would actually like Purple Rain. Besides the backstory and all the acting. But if it was the concert footage, 
I'll be like, yes. Yeah, the concert footage is a remarkable from that because yes. he's really fleshing out these songs for the first time publicly. And you, so when he's gone into them, you can just see the awe of the crowd. They have never seen anything like that before. Exactly. And, and it just, yeah, it complements it. I'm not sure why they did it that way. But again, the parts are better than the sum. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So what we have is a situation where you have a lot of bootlegs that are just shared everywhere. And then you have the stuff, again, that are not so known because mm-hmm. you can focus on different eras. But that's the uh, hope I have is that even with and this goes back to Michael, too. You know, I was thinking not long ago, there's not a lot of footage of Michael, you know, like we don't have a lot of the official we have. And I wonder if and I wanted to ask you this. Do you think that's due to the fact that he didn't record as much as Prince or if it's that they are just not using the footage because they're blocked in some way, because you would think that Michael have, he's recorded other things than the stuff he was, that he released. But I don't, I don't know if he went about it differently. I think it's both. I think it's obvious that Prince recorded far more than Michael. (laughs) Prince recorded a song a day, at least a song right. a day. Yeah. Michael recorded in bulk, as far as I know. You know, Mike, Michael had his studio, so I think he put together ideas but didn't create whole songs like Prince did. Mm-hmm. And so Prince has thousands upon thousands of songs in his vault, and Michael has hundreds of songs. Right. Maybe maybe at most like a thousand or something, but Prince mm-hmm. has thousands upon thousands of songs because <laughs> he just that was his whole thing was just like he just sat in the studio all day if he wasn't That's outside he was in the studio all day or on the internet <laughs> or on the internet watching you so, <laughs> no <laughs> he's like i see you jesse yeah yeah i see you making that video i'm but glad he didn't ask I, me to take down any of my videos that would have been something but i think he liked i i really think that he liked your videos I think he liked your videos because you put a perspective on it where you were an appreciator, you were an advocate as opposed to a fan. Yeah. And I think he probably did go to folks who he felt were fans or like, you gotta take that down, man. You too obsessed with me. Like, yeah, he didn't like that. He wanted Prince wanted you to be cool. That's exactly. all. Just like be cool. Like I'm a human. This is just what I do. Don't make a scene. Right. What's that spell? Exactly. Exactly. Are you hot? No. (laughs) You know why? Because you're cool. You know? Because when you're hot, when you're hot, then you just always, you know, you're antsy. You're just, you're you're not in the moment. You know, you're just being distracted by everything else. And he knew that a lot of people appreciated him, but he didn't like that kind of obsession with his image what he said at one time in the 80s, how he looked in the 80s, what he, who he dated, who he, you know, all of those other components that really don't serve much value to the conversation of his music. So I also think that Michael was much more guarded in his image. I know Prince definitely was, but yeah. again, Prince wasn't in the public as much. Most of the footage you see, he's playing music or something. You didn't see him outside like Michael. So mm-hmm. A lot of the footage you see of Michael, it's outside. And yeah, Pop is like, hey, Michael, what do you think of this it's thing? No, no, no. Like, who wants to see that? Right. Besides someone who's absolutely obsessed with Michael wants to see every second of him. The thing about Prince is people want to see how he 
uh, utilize his creative process. Mm-hmm. And people want to see that about Michael too, but there's not a lot of video of that. And so there's, what was that, Barbara Walters or Diane Sawyer? I think it was Diane Sawyer. And he's talking about his creative process. That's, that's what the stuff I want to see. The stuff when yes. it was MTV in 1999, where he's talking about his creative process. You don't have a lot of videos of Michael like that's that. That's why I can appreciate the bad. Brett Ratner conversation he had, because that was something similar to it. Yeah, it, it as much as... Cool, but- yeah, yeah, as much as, as I much can't as, stand Brett Radner, I thought that was that a was great good. conversation. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> conversation. And I want more conversations that yes. involve that kind of creative explanation because we don't yes. get that a lot. And Michael had a great way of explaining the creative process in a way that was not just over your over your head. He was very concise. He used examples that were close and it didn't feel foreign whenever he would explain things. So like there should be more of that. And I would reckon that he did it. But I do understand also that the machinery, because he had such a machinery of mm-hmm. how he displayed himself and what levels he chose to do. And speak, we spoke a lot about Prince websites. But remember, there was that website Michael had. Yes. He, what was it called again? I forget the name. It's. um. Oh, and I, I think see. it was coming out of New York at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember the video, and then you can find a video on YouTube where he's like, welcome to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> I love that Michael did that, though. I love that he did that. You know, he was just always... Those and that are the was around the time, because, be yeah, that was around the time he was trying to break from Sony, so he's like, you know, I'm independent, so we're trying to do our own thing. And basically, he was working on the same path that Prince had already been doing, but... He had a lot of the sites. It was just people who were fans doing it. He didn't have, from what I can see, Prince had actual tech people working on those sites. So, oh, yeah. He had to hire people. People like Sam yeah, Jennings. Exactly. Um, he was very much involved in the process. Uh, Debbie McGuan, a lot of the art directors. There was a lot of people that he had to hire because he couldn't do it on his own. I mean, he just knew he had the insight to know, okay, this is the direction it's going. But I think the problem that he encountered later on is he realized, see, it was all cool when you had your own. But then it's like, all right, YouTube and people can post this without your consent (laughs) (laughs) and you will not get paid for it. And that's right. when he was like, no, I don't want no social media presence. And he even said that in 2010, the Internet is dead. You know? Right. But I think what he meant by that is I'm not doing this no more. Like, I've done it already. And it's mm-hmm. and clearly what's happening now is I don't have much control. The labels can decide what they want. You know, he really was conflicted about that. And I think that's what made him really push to get his master's and finally have. I mean, that's one of the things he actually said to me. The last conversations I had with him is that it was done already like that. If you want anything more, you are the new power generation because I've already done it. I'm not mm. doing another website, you know, wow. which to me was a way of him saying, I'll let you listen to it. If, but I'm not going to I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And he had a point because in essence, I mean, I think he was kind of speaking on a spiritual plane, too, because in light of what happened a couple of months after that conversation, it's like. Well, I guess you did it all anyway. And he did. He had the insight in the 90s to have a website, to sell his music directly, to to interact with the fans on a level that wasn't through a middleman that just providing that because his his way of branding was just so much different. When you look at he didn't have that much fame 
or access or I would say a lot of the people who listen to Prince, you either like him or you don't or a song, you know, but it's not like you're just, you know, he's not as accessible. A lot of his music wasn't the radio stopped playing it and it kind of became too foreign for people. Whereas Michael, you know, working and being in that whole dispute with Sony, him even realizing that, okay, I see what's going on now. Like you clearly are using me trying to take away from what I have. I mean, it's, it's interesting. They both kind of had that battle. That's why I never understood when people try to make them compete. That's why we talk about the humanity of them. Cause they both had, they were both humans and they both had experiences that challenged how they navigated their artistic careers. With Michael bootlegs, it's funny. I, haven't really heard a response from the estate on a lot of that stuff. I know they did take down some videos and some channels, but I didn't see that to the extent of Prince Estate doing it. And for years, there were all those bootlegs from the Thriller sessions and, of course, the Dangerous sessions in particular. There was that interview with Brian Loren, and he's like, oh, I didn't know that the songs that I did with Michael were up. They've been up for years. (laughs) And he didn't know. I don't know what to say to that. The only page you see on his website is if you've in any way, shape or form have listened to these songs, downloaded these songs without my consent. Right. Send me money. (laughs) So that's (laughs) that's going to be a lot of people. And I definitely understand where he's coming from. I really, really, really do. Yeah, totally. yeah, he had a conversation with this guy on his social media page, one of them, and someone was asking him, you know, there's this song you did, Work That Body, how did you uh, get the arrangement, I want to do something like that, and he kind of went off on the guy, and the guy did apologize, and he said, in retrospect, you know, I, I, I felt kind of bad for doing that, because he's probably like a lot of people who innocuously download the song thinking I have something to do with it or they don't know. So it's that level two where people are thinking the song's already out and it's like, oh, it's on YouTube. Oh, you know, I'm just downloading it. So it's it's such a much more nuanced story. And with the Dangerous Sessions, who had access? Who was the first person to upload it on YouTube? Who had access to those materials and had to have been someone who knew Michael, who knew the producers, who knew someone at Epic slash Sony. The first person to have access to it because all the other people downloading it, they don't know these people. So it, it has to come down to who do you know and how do you have access to this stuff and to do like Prince and have a huge vault, which no one can get to. Right. Because, because <laughs> honestly, yeah. I mean, he definitely had bootlegs. Like there, you know, he had live bootlegs and stuff like that. You can't necessarily stop that. But in terms of the songs, the demos, Prince had that on lockdown because right. most of the bootlegs of his were live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. Yeah, with some songs, or like early songs from like early '80s or something. But yeah, for the most part, throughout my life, I haven't heard a lot of. Prince songs outside of life bootlegs. So it's like, well, there's a lot, but not, (laughs) 
it's it's mm. only recent where some of it has um exactly out, exactly know. like i haven't heard a lot of stuff in the 90s or like when he was here doing his thing he had a lot of stuff on lockdown yeah and yeah there were some like portions of songs similar to michael there were portions of songs people that had the whole song right. <laughs> but yeah, i think the whole song yeah song. but i think michael just from my perspective if people were comparing michael and prince I think Michael just he didn't have the his vault on lockdown as much as Prince because yeah. stuff did slide through. Yeah, because Michael didn't really have a central place. He was moving everywhere. Right. Exactly. Whereas Prince just had he, he Paisley Park. Yep, <laughs> That's where exactly. it all was. I mean, he recorded a lot in California. He had a studio there, and he had other places. But for the most part, he was in Paisley Park. He was able to just put the file down himself. And the vault, if you wanted to, and that was all there was to it. So it's uh, I, I, yeah. yeah. I think the huge difference is that Prince was the producer, the songwriter, the arranger, right. the vocalist, the musician. Michael was the artist, and the producers had a lot of the access on their discs, and, and it's mm-hmm. like Will I Am has songs on his disc that he worked with Michael on. So somebody could hack will i am's disc whereas michael doesn't always have the access to the songs Mm -hmm. to the extent the producer producer does so i think that's the huge difference between why michael's songs are able to have exposure in demo in a demo version as opposed to prince's Mm -hmm. and i can be totally wrong i i really do think that's that's a huge factor though i would say that's a huge contribution for sure because when you're at the expense of a producer and they have it on their file and that's what makes me think and wonder if will i am and a lot of these other people um have like the best encryption hard hard, yeah. hard drives because <laughs> no <laughs> it must be something like because i know even neo or uh what's his name akon that's what i'm thinking about akon even was saying he has some stuff that they did. Everyone claims that. I don't know the extent of mm-hmm. how possible it is, but I would love to hear more new Michael music, like music he did that isn't demo. But because even his demos, I can get because he he would do that. That's what made Michael cool. Like he would release something like what's the song? I just heard it and now I'm forgetting it. Beautiful girl, I oh, love it. I beautiful. don't like that song. That's ah! Robin Thicke. That's Robin Thicke. I don't like Robin Thicke. I just don't. That ain't I think Robin Thicke. Yeah, beautiful girl is Robin Thicke, isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> no, you know what song I'm thinking of? Fall again. Oh, oh I don't like uh, that. Song. Uh, That's no. Robin Thicke. No, I don't even. I didn't say fall again. Beautiful girl. No, I'm, I was. I, I think beautiful girl was just written by Michael, right? Yeah, it was just him. Okay. Uh, no, I was thinking. I was thinking. Yeah, fall again is Robin Thicke. And, and then I, was I like, thought. Right. Boring. In the back. I'm thinking of in the back too. Oh yeah. That's a that's a demo too. Right. See, what I'm saying is because Michael would release his own demos, I feel like they should do the same thing. Like why not release something that he has that is not complete? I mean he was very big on that too. I know. I mean then it's a comp uh whatever. That's I I think though with that, because that was part of the ultimate collection. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of that was to fulfill his contract. Oh, He's yeah, like, it's I'm true. just, I'm gonna just true. put a. That's what he would do. But that was fine. I liked it. He knew that people yeah. would dig it. Right. I, I still like it. 
Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Prince would do that too sometimes, Mm -hmm. which was kind of like, I mean, chaos and disorder, but I still happen to really love chaos and disorder. I like, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm surprised. I don't like, I don't like all the songs on it. But I like right the wrongs. I like that. Uh, yeah, into, I like into the light. I will. That's my. Yeah, favorite. I like that song. That's I will is a great song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rosie, just that guitar yeah. and that vocal exchange. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's funny because if you look at it, just looking at it, it doesn't look mm-hmm. like a Prince album. Like the cover, it doesn't. Right. Look like yeah, it doesn't. That was the either second to last or last Warner Brothers album. That was the last Warner Brothers album before Emancipation. Yeah. Right. So I think three albums in Emancipation. I think in '96. Gee yeah, so I think he was just like, here. <laughs> yeah, here you go, here you go. And then the, the last song is called "Had You," so right? Like you know, miss you, fuck you, had right. you. I love that song. <laughs> so yeah, I actually the funny thing is, and a lot of people would disagree. I like that album better than Come. Yeah. A lot of people no. like I like Chaos and Disorder better. I have to say. Yeah, Chaos and Disorder is one of my favorite. I know all of the lyrics to that whole album because I played it so many times. <laughs> and it's just one of those albums I go back to often. Because of Into the Light I Will. That I remember when I first heard that song, I was like, this is such a nice symbolic, you know, kind of prayer, especially I Will. It right. sounds like a prayer, you know, and it's like mm, I really yeah. appreciated that. It's just funky. It has a good amount of guitar. It's not like I mean, come it's sparse. There's a lot of um, elements in Come that I can, you know, it's like, it's, it hits the mood sometimes. Like, the when I listen to Come, I really listen for the title track, because I love that song. I love, <laughs> I can go the full 11 minutes every time. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it's, uh, it's interesting how a lot of those songs are, when you think of even, you know, what's funny about Chaos and Desire that I'm going to mention briefly. He really started performing a lot of those songs again. <laughs> like oh, really? The song, yeah, like in 2013, 2014, 15, he did Chaos and Desire a lot with Third Eye Girl. And I like it there. Oh, wow. Those are the only two. Wow. I should just mention those two because that's it. Nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing with Prince. He's like, yeah, I'll do a song from that album. Just one or two. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny because with, with come, that whole era, because that's the era of quote unquote Prince's death, and of course people bought it because they're like, did he die? But <laughs> but that and Chaos and Disorder, I think technically in my eyes those could be seen as bootleg albums mm-hmm. because it, it was just like he wanted to fulfill a contract, so he's just yeah. throwing a bunch of songs together. And I think in the traditional sense of bootlegs, I know that its actual meaning is songs that are not officially released. Mm-hmm. But I think these are songs that he didn't necessarily want officially released, but he fulfilled the contract. So even the, the cover, again, of Chaos and Disorder, it just looks like Chaos and Disorder, but it mm-hmm. kind of right. has a bootleg feel to it. It's yeah. like a lot, of, like Malico Records or Rap-A-Lot and all these record labels or covers look like bootlegs. <laughs> And it has that feel to me. And knowing the story behind that whole era of Prince, it's just kind of like, somebody else put this out. It says nothing yeah, to me. It just it feels like that. Me. Yeah. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, his his face not is not even shown in Chaos and Order. You see his exactly. eye, and that eye is from 1999. 
Right. And it has like, it's like there's a shot through it. It was like somebody shot, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like somebody shot through the glass or something. <laughs> like for you could just say it's like seeing to be like, I'm, I'm dead. Prince is dead. That's exactly. what he would say. Prince yeah. está muerto. Prince está muerto. <laughs> and at first, I actually thought Cum was a bootleg, to yeah. be honest. See, well, he wanted, and he kind of like, wanted it to be seen as that because it didn't mean nothing to him. I mean, even, but you right. know, it was also seen as a collection of bootlegs. The Vault, Old Friends for Sale. Yeah. And that's an actual yes. bootleg. Now, that's, I really, really right. like that album. Right. Um, that was the last one, the real, real last one he did with Warner Bros. Because yeah. that was like maybe 99 or 8, maybe 98, I think. So that's what I, that's what I think. Like, what does a bootleg even mean? Yeah, what when is that? Like, people are officially question. releasing their own bootlegs. <laughs> like, yes, funny. indeed. Bam. <laughs> people what are releasing. Their yeah, own people bootlegs. are releasing their own bootlegs because they can't get out of a contract. <laughs> <laughs> the real like, well, word of contract is con. <clears throat> yes, Prince. Oh Lord. <laughs> Yes, he did. He came hard against that. And see, this is the problem. Now you, you know, we talked earlier about Blackish. Why don't they mention that? That's his Prince's real. Like, I mean, in the nineties, that was his host. He maintained that the whole time. Mm-hmm. The whole time he was always preaching against that, like the labels and how they take advantage. You know, and I appreciate again. I would mention Michael for a second because I think about how Michael with his catalog and being able to supply artists like Little Richard you know yes. their their licensing back and and paying them their due cuz they were not given that <laughs> and that's what they fought for you know so it's a mm-hmm. those things should be talked about when we acknowledge them not just the oh look at how look at their eyes oh he was just a bad mother it's like yeah but then look what he did <laughs> look what he did look at what he talked about when he was here <laughs> mm-hmm. yes Exactly. When he did interviews, he didn't talk about all the other stuff. That's what he talked about. So. And that's why I wish people focused on more of that stuff. I think with Prince, people did because he was adamant. Like, this is what I'm going to talk about. This is what I'm going to address. I'm not going to address this. And Michael, I don't think, was it adamant about that. That the Oprah Winfrey interview, he said, oh, you could just talk about anything. She's like, are you a virgin? Like, really? Really? <laughs> that- See, you want like, you that's what you want to ask. Yeah. See, this is why I don't with Oprah, you see. Um, <laughs> that thing, I don't like that. Is the, the Paul Mooney thing I used to talk about Oprah. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> we were talking about I have to check it out. But if Barbara Walters was interviewing Oprah and Barbara Walters was like, Did you ever want to be white Oprah? Right. <laughs> Paul Moody was like, Barbara, Barbara, yes, yes, Barbara. (laughs) He he always goes in on Oprah because he talks about yeah, because he talks about how she always exploits people's situations. Exactly, does she does she does like that's the question you ask. uh, You ask Michael J. He hasn't been he hasn't done an interview in so long. And there's so many things we can ask him about. What kind of music he made, just how right. how it was. But you get to the you get to that. It's like why? 
hey, Michael, are you a virgin? Oh, that's private, Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I would have been like, next question. I'm having, <laughs> or I'm that's none of your business. Of or what you say? I said, I'm saving all of this information about uh, Paul Mooney and Oprah because I want to see this oh. about Michael. Michael Jackson. I feel like I'm going to laugh because yeah, I can tell just by your laugh it's going to be hilarious. He has all these albums, but yeah, just Paul Mooney, Oprah Winfrey, and then Paul Mooney, Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Paul Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> and he talks about, he's like, Michael is innocent and here's why. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Oprah Winfrey, yeah, the, why would you out of all the questions, you have all this time with him, mm-hmm. and you would have asked that. You have yes, all this time with him. See, that's why was, Prince was like, I'm going to give you the questions, okay? <laughs> like, you ain't going to ask me that. And if you ask me something similar, I'm going to give you a question that's that's easy to be like, we good. Because when she asked him, so how's your family? And blah, 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 she knew. Right. Know? But she right. was like, and, and he said, we good. We always good. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> Don't come at me with the bull because I'm going to have to watch it before you post it. And if I don't right. like something, I'm taking it out. I'm actually surprised <laughs> that he had Oprah Winfrey interview him. I'm just really I think surprised. that was all. I think that was really connected to EMI and the promotion of emancipation. Uh, that, that makes problems. sense. Yeah. Makes and sense. I think that was that was exposure because she she was still really big at that time, you know, and he needed yeah. that exposure because, again, he changed his name and the, the media didn't really dig that too well. <laughs> so <laughs> his promotion was kind of kicked. So he had to really hustle and he kind of had to eat the fish and spit out the bones, the bones, like they say. And, uh, the bones, <laughs> that's funny. I don't remember him really talking about emancipation the whole time a lot of it was more spirit he was talking more about esoteric and spiritual stuff Mm -hmm. so i don't even remember a lot of the promotion of the album to be honest in that interview (laughs) that's true i mean yeah it was it was mainly oprah saying and this is emancipation oh look at it it makes you exactly yeah but he was just speaking of i mean he had experienced a lot i mean he was married this is the first time he was married so right there's a lot there's a new element you can see just but he seemed at peace around that time. You know, he seemed like he was it was a lot of conflict, though. But mm-hmm. he I mean, his child, his child, his child just died, had, so. had passed away. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a lot of it was a lot of shift and change around mm-hmm. that time. You know, you can see he was really just like I watched the Holy River not long ago that they posted. Mm-hmm. They have that on YouTube. Finally, again, <laughs> what a lucky generation you guys are but anyway, <laughs> you can see in that video you know you, you know he's talking about jesus he's talking about god he's talking about mm-hmm. he's just really getting to spiritual matters because right. in his life so much had changed you know so he was really growing up you know and yeah i, I would agree with you though oprah probably didn't focus too much on that she was probably wondering about just and he i think he sort of narrated it to where it didn't go too Yes. Feel, but I yes. like that. The reason why I appreciate it is because, again, it's not the 80s because I, I still hate that people focus on the 80s so much. I feel like there's just an over obsession with it where they don't even focus. And now it's to the point where it's like, are they ever going to go beyond that and speak on something after that? No, no. 
because it's profit. <laughs> it's just the same with Michael Jackson. They do the same thing. It's like we so Thriller. It's obviously when you think of Halloween, you say, oh, everyone uses Thriller, but they don't think of Ghost. They don't do right. anything about ghosts. Why not? That's just incredible. I think a lot of that is media. A lot of that is uh, how media in particular continues to I- interpret Michael and Prince. So they're relegated to the 80s, just like Whitney Houston is relegated to the 80s. 80s yeah. Madonna, however, interestingly, is not. She seems to escape that with media. I'm not sure why that is. Because when talking about her, people don't focus on like a version. They don't focus on... People don't even talk about her first album, which is actually the one album I really like. <laughs> to be right. honest. Everybody. Like, okay. That was... Okay, before MTV... She, I think... Uh, what's the song? Is it Borderline? And uh, let's see. is it Papa Don't Preach? No, that was the third album. I think that was the third album. I love album. that song. <laughs> I'm always singing it. Oh, you can make a whole episode I'm of that song. <laughs> And the double entendres there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, exactly. I, the first album, it had, um, yeah, everybody. So it had everybody was the first single. And that was the first Madonna song I ever heard. I know we're talking about Madonna, but um, it's the first Madonna song I ever heard. And so there was a show, New York Hot Tracks, with Carlos de Jesus. And this was before MTV. I didn't have MTV as a child. I didn't see MTV till I was a little bit older. New York Hot Tracks came on. It was like Friday nights at 11. Oh, we stayed up late watching New York Hot Tracks. Uh, it was her at this club, Dance Interior. She was with these two dudes. And, yeah, that was a club hit, everybody. And she wrote the song. She was credited writing a song. And, actually, she was in this group before she did uh, solo. It was a group called Emma or something like that. And she played drums. I think she played drums in this group. And so I, she wrote it around that time and they did it. She was like, I want to be a solo star. I want to be a big star. So she moved to New York and sold the song. And, you know, it was in the clubs and everything. That is the one song I really, really, really like from Madonna. I think the way it was arranged, just the sense of melody in the song, the way it built up and went back just just the way I didn't really hear that in a lot of other Madonna songs people don't mention that song people always mention uh, uh I don't know think I don't even know what songs people mention of Madonna but I know it's not from the first <laughs> right. maybe they mentioned borderline or holiday and that kind of stuff but usually people mention that stuff when they grew up but people usually mention Hung Up and all those later Madonna songs. So I'm curious how Madonna escaped being relegated to the 80s. But Whitney Houston never escaped that. Prince never escaped that. And Michael never mm-hmm. escaped that. I think it's a lot to do. It has a lot to do with her reach. She's very, she's performed everywhere pretty much too. I think that helps her a lot because when you travel as much as she, her last tour, she was everywhere. And she usually sells out too. So. People just like her. But I'm sure there's a lot of other nuances yeah, as to why. But, but like you they, said, like the, the, the other three have Whitney performed. Houston. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. Like Whitney Houston and Michael, obviously. I mean, they performed everywhere. Why are they relegated to the 80s? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did get yeah, the chance think- to see her at Paisley Park in 2015 when she performed 
in Minneapolis, Prince invited uh-huh. her to Paisley Park, and I was one of the lucky people in that space. It was pretty cool oh, wow. to see her. Yeah, she was um she was there after she performed, and Prince got on stage. She played the guitar a bit for her, and she couldn't stay the okay. whole time. There was a moment he kind of indicated on his on his uh, hand, like, "Oh, you are you cut for time?" And she had, she had left, but it was it was pretty good to ah. see Madonna live in action. She's pretty small, just like yeah. Prince. I was yeah. like, "Wow, she's so <laughs> little." People are smaller than they look. <laughs> yeah, the industry loves you know overblowing and adding glitter and animation to yeah. confuse you. And then you get to them, it's like, oh. <laughs> no, I I do oh, wonder man. though. She she got more of a space to be herself, and yes, she definitely has gotten a lot of critiques. I mm-hmm. see her in many cases as a cultural appropriator. I'm yes. not gonna knock right. the steps she took to get where she get in terms of her fame, because I think she did work at that. However, she did culturally appropriate a lot of folks to get there. That's a whole other episode. But, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, she shoots up her wedding. I'm not going to do all that. Um, I don't know that as a fact, so I can't, you know. But uh, I do know over the years she has been a massive cultural appropriator. She hasn't been relegated. That's my issue. She hasn't been relegated to a particular decade in the way that Michael and Prince have. Yeah. And Prince in has, particular, yeah. he's made music up until literally... The day before he left this earth. <laughs> so literally. Yeah. And he's yeah. still relegated to Purple Rain. But Madonna, people talk about her today. The music she makes today. People talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't even talk about her early era. Like, for instance, who's that girl? People, nobody. Who talks about that? Nobody. Yeah. Nobody talks about True Blue. The only people who talk about that are her fans. But in general, like I mean, just nobody casual checking for fans. In general. Right, people don't talk about the Dick Tracy soundtrack. People don't talk about bedtime stories even when she where she worked with Babyface. You know, people don't talk about that stuff. People talk about Ray of Light on. That's what they talk about when it comes to Madonna. Like she just has had more of an opportunity to expand quote unquote her brand, expand her music, and get a chance to do that. Where Prince, oh Purple Rain, that's all I know. Michael, all I know is Thriller. And it's just, I don't understand. I just have questions. <laughs> and I don't people think we'll don't ever yeah. talk about Madonna yeah. in the 80s anymore. Yeah, they, no. they well, may I think talk she's, about Madonna is also very too. involved in, like, social media to the extent that she's often sharing her family. She's always, mm-hmm. you know, being very active on Twitter in regard to whatever current is going on. So... To some degree, she kind of puts herself out there on the line a bit more. And she makes and she takes incredible risk that she know will end up making her the talk of the town. So mm-hmm. she'll do something. And that's what I appreciate about it, because she kind of knows the media side of it. She knows what to give that'll have people talking about it for a lot. Whereas mm-hmm. Prince and Michael especially were not. I mean, they what they gave was creative. It wasn't like. Prince, I mean, even Prince being on Instagram when he was, it was it was laid out. It wasn't just random shit. You know, it was like, no, look at me. And when I was in 2004, look at me when I was in 98 or whatever, you know, so it was not as. um. I still see what you mean, though, because in, in a way, it's still that a lot of people just talk about 
is when you mention Prince, they say Purple Rain. When you mention exactly. Michael, they say and I but I get okay. I get it for Michael because that's the most successful album, but mm-hmm. it's still not fair to talk about Michael just as one signature because he has so many. So they'll say Moonwalk. So like recently this happened on Twitter. It was this reprisal of that whole Michael and Prince thing. And yeah. <laughs> they did it in a way where it was like and I and I wrote something, I said something like, Oh well, why would you do that? Like it's so old, this is recycled. Why do we do this? You know, and somebody was like, Yeah, one did the moonwalk. And I'm like <laughs> Okay. That's awesome. Why can't it just be <laughs> and then one played twenty seven instruments. When then one one did it's like okay, they were musicians, they had their different you know, they had their different approaches to what they both were successful, is what I'm saying. Michael right. and Prince, in any way you want to look at it, were both successful artists who inspired many people, who contributed, who had their ups and downs, who were human. They were both human. <laughs> And they had, but they are the product of their experiences. Right. One lived in the Midwest where they both were kind of, I mean, Minnesota. I mean, yeah, they were both born in the Midwest. They were born in Madonna. Yeah. As as was Madonna. That's why people love places like the Midwest because you never know who you're going to get, you know. Right. (laughs) But both, but one of them was extremely poor in the sense mm-hmm. in relation to like prince was he was raised in north minneapolis that's not that's the get it still looked like it did when he was little and he even talks about that in his his um he's like old school company you can still apply that today that was released in 2009 but you go right. to north minneapolis and you see the schools are still run down there's no funding there are no areas you know there's nothing that i mean it's probably not as as bad as it was but still it was not it's not much progressed and he had to really work hard for what he he got and you know, in the same way, Michael, you know, he's with a he's with a big family. They're all together, but they're kind of exploited <laughs> by yeah. their father for labor <laughs> because he mm-hmm. saw that they had talent. And then you you grow, so you follow their careers, and you can see they both had their share of challenges, but mm-hmm. they managed to actually arise from those challenges in a way that wasn't, you know, it's not like you can when you think of Michael and Prince, you don't think of the negatives. You really think of what they did, you know, the accomplishments. Yeah. So they were both successful <laughs> by that definition. So why use them as pawns against each other without <laughs> understanding the context of why, you know, they're the way they are. It's kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, A, it's that whole capitalist ideology of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And then you want to, target people who don't particularly display a quote typical level of masculinity according to some people mm-hmm. and then we have people who are focused on one era so it's saying well he played 27 minutes was that actually the case i don't know no. some that that's yeah it was, that's it was the case argued. of varying buttons on a machine <laughs> and that's right. an instrument if you switch the button, right? Okay. Right. He didn't play any because it's like Prince didn't play any any air instruments. He didn't play horns. Exactly. I'm not. To, it's not to say he couldn't trigger it as on a piano though. On a you, but that's not the same thing as actually you know inhaling air into an instrument and controlling it with your fingers. It's just right. a different thing. And he didn't right. do that. 
He did right. string instruments. He did hand instruments and all of in his voice, obviously. But let's not act as if that twenty-seven instruments mean. Oh yeah, he could play the violin. He didn't play the violin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he played piano, guitar, bass, drums. You know, he played instruments like in varying forms of that. I know he played the he played right. the accordion. <laughs> I think that was that was cute that he played that. Aww. But yeah, it's but it's not. You know, it's like. Less in, even still, and it's not that he could play him; he could play him really well. That's also right. a very right. important distinction because there are a lot of people who can play many instruments, um, but he That's played me. in a way where, yeah, you can play. You can I can play, but not that well. But yeah, I, I'm I'm that person. I would say I'm on the level of Michael Jackson, just a little bit better in terms of playing instruments. Mm-hmm. So I played in bands before. I I write music. I you know I I tinker on some instruments so i play at least five instruments i would never say i'm at the level of prince and so when people say oh are you a musician i'll say i play music because i'm i just feel like i'm not on that level enough to say that i am however i have played in bands so does that make me a musician i don't know according to me no it does (laughs) i would say it makes you a musician if you can play in a band that means you can really keep up and because I realize music is all about, that's why I love watching music, because it's interesting seeing how the musicians exchange and interact with each other. Who's listening to who, when to solo, when to stop, you know, all of those cues. And yeah. if you can play in time with somebody, I would say that's the musicianship. That makes you a musician, because it's one thing just listening and, you know, tapping in the, you in your house and you're, oh, let me tap on. But that's not the same thing. <laughs> it's not the same thing as what you're doing so that's pretty awesome you're listening well, I mean, to you guys Jamila she she actually created the intro to music and weed so and so I, I play I play guitar I play piano harmonica ukulele wow. I have played the accordion twice I'm not good at it at all mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah I, I I play the drums as well so that was the wow. drums yeah, the drums is actually my primary instrument, and I played Ooh. guitar and drums in bands. Nice. But I'm better at drums than guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I just I, I love creating. I love playing music. I can but see I the never... Michael connection because Michael was very much a percussionist too in his voice. Right. And how he would use the yes. his voice as a percussion. So yeah. Right. <laughs> And so he he would also play on bottles and things like that, but he also did play a little bit of guitar and he played drums. When the Jackson Five had downtime, he would play the trap set. So to say Michael has never played an instrument in his life would be factually incorrect. Correct. Don't be <laughs> and, messing. Don't well, be the, messing. Don't, <laughs> the, the other question I have though is, and I know we're we're off the top of bootleg, but I still think this is important to the conversation as a whole. People say Michael was not a musician because oh, let's answer this once and for all. You look at a person like Sade Adu, and I'm not talking about Sade the band. I know people go, oh, I saw Sade. Yeah, she was great. No, Sade's a whole band. Let's not get that twisted. And Sade Adu will correct you if you say that. She'll be like, we're a band. <laughs> but yeah. but Sade Adu, you know, she is considered to be a musician. However, you never see her play instruments. Yeah. 
besides singing. Come on now. But Come on she, now. She, she writes do that the music. For Michael. She arranges it. That's what yeah, I'm saying. So Anita Baker I mean, is Anita Baker. Oh, I think Anita Baker about. might play the piano, but still, she's not known as doing that, she's but yet she's considered so to be that. a musician. Right. No, look, listen, I always say this to people. First of all, the voice is the first instrument. I actually have to say this to somebody on Twitter because he came at me with some... Well, I ain't gonna even go there anyway. <laughs> the fact is... The voice is the first instrument, and to say that that's not as valuable as, you know, using your fingers and your hands and your your breath blowing into an instrument is ridiculous, because composition. And I'm not a. I mean, I'm. I consider myself a writer. I do sometimes hear melodies in my head, but I'm the type to just do it with my voice to make it sound like something funny. So it's not like I would not call myself a musician, but I would say. I do like the idea of creating a concept, comp- composing, or uh, composing rather, uh, a piece. And that mm-hmm. requires attention and all of that too. So like yeah. uh, you mentioned Sade, that's a wonderful example of Anita Baker, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was like, I love how you mentioned as well, he would take bottles, he would take, I read a story about how he did Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. And yes. how Sheila E used, she said she used something what what is it? You can probably explain more of that, but that composition. There were a lot of things involved in that. That wasn't yes. And um, uh, Janet and Randy were part of that recording. Yeah, Janet and Randy. Recording. That's true. Everything about Michael, and we don't understand this when talking about Michael. Everything he does was about percussion. And when he says in the interviews, uh, it was about the drum. It was about Africa. Right. You you can listen to how he composes a song, even when he beatboxes. It's all about right. it's all, multi-level it's, yeah. percussion, polyrhythms. That's what Michael yeah. did in his music. And when, right. he, when he did Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, he said, I want the end to sound like the kalimba. And so, of course, Earth, Wind and Fire was really popular at the time. And they popularized the kalimba. And Michael wanted to emulate that in some capacity. And to say that he had no sense of composition because he didn't quote play an instrument makes no sense the musicians who worked with him will tell you he, yeah, actually, he actually recreated he would, yeah, he would recreate the instrument with his voice he would find yes. the guitar he could find the guitar yes. sound with his voice he could find the bass yes. he could find the drums this is composition you mother yes. you try to do it how about that <laughs> you try to do it and, and let me see how it sounds because it it's not as easy as it sounds and it takes oh. an ear and michael had an ear <laughs> He knew tone. He could tell that yeah. difference. If And a lot of people don't understand that. Music is not just a bunch of... Because, see, computers can get in the way sometimes of just making it sound just... You know, it's nothing... And don't get me wrong, I do enjoy some electronic, digital, enhancing music. But that ain't the same thing as live music. It, it will never be. It's just not. And, and because live music takes attention. You really need to have musicology. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This is just another one of God's gifts. Musicology. (laughs) Keep the party moving. Just like I told you. Keep the old school joint for the true folk soldiers. soldiers. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute, band. Don't you ever touch my stereo. (laughs) He said, ah. What you need the most, and that's time. Okay, we should probably. But yeah, there's the the interview he did with with Diane Sawyer, 
and how they introed it. She was beatboxing and was like, oh, oh this I love is that. A, yeah. This is a 48 track human. Right. Like, exa- <laughs> and he was saying, what I would do is, and then I'll layer it out. Like, he was, oh, I yeah. love that. That's the kind of yeah. stuff they need to show more of. Exactly. Because seeing that, I'm so glad that a clip exists because you can really see his, um, his passion in it and just how it happens because there's definitely a process. And for whatever reason, everyone's focused on everything else. <laughs> right. And even Rochelle Farrell, Rochelle Farrell Ooh. is my favorite living artist. I love her so much. I her first album was called First, first instrument. instrument. She plays piano and guitar, but yet the voice is still the first instrument. And she considered that to be the first instrument. So even someone like Shaka Khan, a lot of people do Ooh. not know Shaka Khan plays the drums. Yeah, she plays the drums. People uh, people didn't even know Karen Carpenter played the drums. I mean, that was one of the huge factors in people's attraction to the Carpenters. Like, she, they would bring her out and she would play the drums. <laughs> <laughs> Shaka Khan, same, same thing. There's a, I remember there was a footage of the Mike Douglas show, and it was just quiet. Shaka Khan just gets on the drums, and everybody's just quiet, and they start. And everyone's like, oh, Shaka Khan's on the drum. Yeah. So people have these skills that they may not uh, display every time when they're a vocalist, but they have the capacity to do that. So to say, Michael Jackson didn't play any instruments, you don't know that, but he did. Just because you didn't see him, it doesn't mean that he didn't do it. And he would have to tamper on some, some tinkle on the piano or whatever in order to get a feel of writing some composition. It's like Marvin Gaye, he played the piano and the drums, and he always talked about how he wasn't the greatest on the piano, but, you know, he knew how to play a few chords. Lionel Richie said the same thing. Lionel Richie is known for playing the piano. When he was in the Commodores, he also played, was it the trumpet? I think he played the trumpet or the sax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody okay. correct me. But, you know, then he became known for playing the piano. But he did an interview in the 80s saying, you know, I know I'm not the greatest piano player and I'm not the greatest singer. So even people who are known for playing these instruments are like, I know I'm not. There's people way better than me. So to say Michael Jackson didn't know what he was doing because you didn't see him, that you didn't work with him. Yeah, you didn't work with him. And you're not if you're not open to that reality, if you're not open to reality, then what are you even talking about? Because the truth is, Michael was a musician and he was a musician through and through. Through and through. So let's get off of, you know, just this attempt. Again, that whole competitive nature of capitalism and what it does to people when they think of two artists that share some similar common ground. And then, oh, but this one did that and this one did that. Okay, well, what about this? It's like, mm-hmm. stop it. Let's stop. All and in, a, in a way to, to challenge capitalism, I do support bootlegs, but not in the way where artists can't get anything. Because, again, right. I really do advocate artists being paid for their work. That's, Absolutely. There you go. You're right. I, but that's but if way. we look at it, they're still not making that much money when you're dealing with major labels. So it's like, where does that fit in? I think, in a way, maybe people should bootleg to to send a mm-hmm. message to the record labels, like pay the artists more. I'm a fan of bootlegs. <laughs> <laughs> nah, in the sense that it's not like you said, as long as the artist is getting something like because another thing is it's like you said, no one musicians and artists are not getting paid through the label based off of the sales because people first of all are not selling as much because they have other alternatives of getting 
alternative ways of getting what they want so they can stream it or they just buy merch you know that's what a lot of people people want to wear you know get cups and hoodies and all that so (laughs) it's not really like they're really losing out the industry makes it seem as if they're paying the artists they're not i mean a lot of them are getting underpaid and then they get dropped from the label (laughs) and then they got to pay money back for the advances they got on their album exactly. that they didn't expect. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so, so all these people being like, I got this car, whatever. No, you got it. That doesn't no, belong you got, to you. Yeah, that don't belong to you, man. You <laughs> dumb. Mut- Let me stop. I'm tripping right now. But <laughs> people who think that, it's like, <laughs> you got to look at the con. Read, please, read. These people are not giving you what you think you're getting. You have to, you are expected to recall that back. And if you don't, especially, hey, like we said the last time, golden parachute. Yep, see, see, <laughs> see. Learn, learn these terms. You have to get the terminology down so that you see through the animation. Because then you just believe in the hype. And what did they mm-hmm. say? Don't, 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 don't believe don't the believe hype. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> Speaking of, so it's really funny. This is kind of coming full circle. Napster was the company I was talking about in relation to Metallica suing them with fans of Metallica, et cetera, being affected in 2018 because <laughs> Metallica is still performing. And they had a recent album, was it maybe a year or two ago? It was Hardwired to Self-Destruct. So and they kind of went back to their hardcore roots. But they are now in their live performances. They are giving you free MP3s. <laughs> like, wow. What? So it's it's coming back full circle. Yeah, it's, they see. Yeah, like, just oh, take it. It's like attend a Metallica show, get a free download. It's like wow, wow. okay, okay, wow. So yeah, you get a free download of the concert. So this was reported this year. This is a Metallica have announced that anyone holding a ticket to a gig on their current worldwide tour can scan the ticket stub to receive a free MP, MP3 download of the show. So I'm guessing every show they're doing on this tour is recorded and then hooked up to to a link. So it's just funny that they sued Right, they used Napster. to sue Napster for doing it. And now, and now it's like, it. it is. I mean, ultimately, it's about control of your art. So I get it. And I think what Prince did with, with the musicology tour, and I think Prince was the first artist to do it, and then Madonna and other artists followed suit. But yeah. with a ticket, you got a you got a CD. You got a CD, exactly. And, a, and the, yeah, they changed that shit. They was like, yeah, you can't do that exactly, anymore. exactly. So even even with that, Prince was at the forefront. It's just like I know that the record the record industry is changing, and so I'm just gonna move with the times, and <laughs> I'll go make my money. <laughs> yeah. And you know, so because the when you went to the concert, you got to see there was just MPG records. But then he made a deal with Epic Records. And so, like, you either bought in the store, I think it was Epic Records, or you went to the concert and got an MPG record. He knew what he was doing. He was just like, my concerts are sold out, and I'm making bake off that, and the album's number one. But I know not as many people are going to buy it from the store. So it's just it's funny how nobody said anything. And then Madonna started doing it. It was like, oh, see, now you want to do it. So that's the thing Prince got away with, and Madonna didn't where people complain mm-hmm. <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and then even with a 
what was that the the uh, thing he did at the O2? And didn't he have the free CD with the newspapers? Yeah. Was that the mm, tour? With the newspaper, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, and and so a I lot remember. of people gave him flack for that. But that's a way of him promoting himself because he knew how the industry worked. So he would make these one-off deals with Arista, with Epic, with whatever. Even Warner Brothers, when he got his catalog back or the masters back, it was like one-off deal with Warner Brothers. These are the stipulations of my contract. If you want me to make a record with you, he was smart about that. He's like he made his money back. <laughs> so yeah. you know, would that would that technically be a bootleg when he's like putting you know the records in the paper, even though quote it's official? The record label could be like, oh, that's officially a bootleg. That that doesn't count for us. The question again is, what is a bootleg? Even if it's officially released, can it be considered to be a bootleg? Well, I think we we're an, I think we've answered the questions for <laughs> the listeners, and I hope you guys can leave comments and share with us how we can define the uh, or how you define the definition of what a bootleg is, because I think you did a really good job at the beginning when you said that. How did you say it? That bootlegs. It, you said it in a way I I, rec- I don't recall now. Gee whiz. I think bootlegs that. are the people's, the masses' way of just having access to music because not everyone can afford an album. It's like, I want this album really bad, but I also got to eat. I got to pay my rent. So I think if people are going to say, well, I want to be paid for my work, do special songs that come out where people have access to okay here's a free download of this but you got to buy my album if you want to hear the rest of it or what people are doing now going on amazon or whatever and saying here's a song or even better Bandcamp. so pay what you want there's five dollars for the album if you want all these other special features pay 15. do that but make sure everyone has access to your music in some capacity or do the radiohead david bowie thing Pay what you feel is worth your time for our music. So there are a lot of ways you can do it as opposed to somebody paying $20, $30, $40 for an album at this point. If you can afford to do that, do that. Because then you can get the vinyl, then you can get all the stuff. But for people who cannot and they still like you and they want to hear your music, but it's it's, it's a, a choice between eating, paying rent, or buying music, and music is supposed to represent the masses. It's supposed to speak truth to the assumed power. Make it accessible to people. That's all I'm saying. On one level, I don't have problems with bootlegs because of that, because of the access to the masses. At the same time, artists should be paid for their work. So how do you navigate that? How do you create positive action to make sure the masses have access to your work? So do what Radiohead and David Bowie did or have free downloads and then say, if you want more songs, then you pay for the rest of the, whatever. The choice is yours, as Black Sheet said, but make sure in some way people have access to your work. If people can't afford a $77 monthly uh, access to your website, have some other ways. As an artist, you should be able to have choices. And less and less people should be dealing with these major companies Less and less people should be signing these 360 deals where you're giving all of your rights away as an artist, even on tours now. I don't know why people are still doing that. You can be exposed in so many ways. You don't need to have these major companies. They should be extinct at this point. Artists should be working for the people. That's just how I see it. So bootlegs, 
I see it dialectically. I think on one hand, yes, it is exposure to the masses and they have the capacity to listen to your art at the same time, pay the artists with their work because they're doing that work to make people happy. And I think they are deserving to be paid for. That's how I see it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for listening and share it with us. If you have been one of those people to wear boots on the occasion of <laughs> an inconvenience of maybe you just like bootlegs, what makes you like bootlegs? Do you feel, you know, just your comments and questions as usual. And we thank you for listening in. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.